So this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and, and so we are going to uh, focus our time there. But it is one of the interesting themes that is kind of lost in the book of, uh, of Colossians because it just kind of gets thrown in there uh, from time to time. But then right in the middle of chapter 3, it gets repeated. And so uh, remember that Colossians is uh, the book that I spent uh, kind of most of my time uh, in the Word on my sabbatical was in this book. And so just thematically, just that we would walk out uh, just some themes that, that kind of uh, came out of this book during my time. We began with the idea of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that we would be people of the word. And then we looked at the idea of continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, And we said we would get back to the with thanksgiving part. Well, here we are. Uh, Then, you know, kind of what it would look like for us to plead for those people around us and maybe even pray beyond kind of situational things. And and what would uh, praying for people's maturity in Christ look like? Uh, And last week we looked at the idea of the J-curve, the dying and the rising uh, of uh, us with Jesus in everyday life. So kind of as we look at those things today, we're going to be looking at the aspect of thanksgiving. Uh, and so this is a concept I think we're familiar with, but that might not uh, define our everyday life and maybe even our life as, as God's people. So would you stand with me? We're going to be in three different places in Colossians. We're going to start in chapter 2 uh, and verse 6 and 7, and then jump to 3 and then jump to 4. So Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, uh, therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Jump to chapter 3, which is right in the middle of what Paul's talking about, of what it looks like to put on the new self in the gospel. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then jump over to Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would uh, kind of by your spirit, that you would come in and uh, that you would reveal yourself to us. Father, reveal, reveal your goodness. Uh, Father, uh, help us, uh, those who profess you as our Lord. God, what would it look like for us to really live that out? and the gratitude and thankfulness that overflows from it. Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know you by faith. Father, they have never bowed their knee to Jesus. God, would today be the day of salvation? Would you, by your Spirit, make blind people be able to see? God, that you would draw people to yourself. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So on October 3rd, 1863, 
Abraham Lincoln made a proclamation that the last Thursday of November would be Thanksgiving Day in our country. The timing of the proclamation was was quite stunning. It was two and a half years into the Civil War, and the war would not resolve for another year and a half after. And so right in the middle of the bloodiest war in terms of of people in the United States, President Lincoln declares that we should give thanks. He opened his proclamation with this. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. Interesting. At this point, you know, 600,000 people died in the Civil War. So uh, at least a quarter million or 300,000 people have died at this point in the war. And he says, this year has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. Speaking of the bounties that our country enjoyed, he says this, that they, the bounties, are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Interesting. The bounties that we enjoy are so plentiful, we are bound and prone to forget the source from which they come. And these bounties can even penetrate and soften, his words, the hardest of hearts to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. He then proceeded to recount all the blessings that flowed to our country, even in the middle of the Civil War. And then he says, no human council has devised nor has any moral, mortal hand worked out these great things. These are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, has nevertheless remembered mercy. I therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart the last Thursday of November as, thanks, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. And I recommend that while they're offering the ascriptions that are justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, that they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and, and disobedience that we would commend to his tender care all of those who became widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Wow. That is a far cry from Macy's parades and football games. But that is how Thanksgiving Day was instituted in our country. The ever-watchful providence of Almighty God, the Most High God who has remembered mercy, the one to whom all ascriptions and worship and praise are justly due, that we would humble ourselves penitently before our God, for our national perverseness and disobedience. Under God's tender care, under his almighty hand, that he would be the one that heals our nation according to his divine purposes. 
I think we have strayed a little bit from that as a country, slightly. But Thanksgiving is all about God, his gracious gifts, and his active role in our lives. And so as we look at Colossians in terms of Thanksgiving, uh, we have to see that thankfulness starts with lordship. You can't really get to thankfulness without seeing Jesus as Lord. Because the idea of lordship or, or salvation as we by faith trust in him, it restores our design at creation. What was mankind created for? Well, God created us to live under his sovereign hand and his authority. Not under his thumb, but under his gracious sovereignty. And then God would call us under his gracious, gracious sovereignty and care. He would call us to care for his creation, to subdue the earth. So not only does faith, our trusting in Christ, lead to my salvation and your salvation, it restores what mankind was created to be, dependent upon God and in close relationship with him. Colossians 3, as we read earlier, says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, that you would be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That we find our life in him, we recognize his rule over our lives, and we're thankful for it. So as he rightly is Lord, and we come to the place of recognizing what we were created for, that he would be our Lord and that we get to find our life in him and under him. That's what really salvation is doing, is rightly aligning us yet again with him as Lord. When we find ourselves there and we receive him as Lord, we abound in thanksgiving. In a sense, the opposite of our, of our condition of thanksgiving is found uh, in us before uh, salvation, you know, that, that uh, Paul is saying earlier in Colossians 1, and, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, so that was our condition before salvation, we were alienated, hostile, and doing evil, he has now reconciled. And what is reconciliation? Is that we were enemies, and now we are brought near like friends. So those who before knowing Christ were enemies of God, hostile to God, doing things completely outside of his will, he has now reconciled and brought us near like friends. It's that reorientation of what we were created for. Now the Apostle Paul writes about the pre uh, the pre uh, conversion condition in the, in the book of Romans. Uh, and it's not, it's not simply enmity with God or disregarding him. He actually frames it in terms of a lack of thankfulness. That rebellion shows itself in a lack of thankfulness. This is Romans 1. Um, this is a classic passage on the understanding of the human heart and the, the condition of our being enemies of God. Right in the middle of it, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
We think of Thanksgiving as Macy's Parade and football games. God is saying, if you are not thankful, it's an aspect of what, it's a symptom of rebellion against the living God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him and did not give thanks to him. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So a a thankful heart displays a heart that surrendered to God, a heart that recognizes him as creator and that we are his creation. Receiving him as Lord allows us to stop fighting against our created design. And so receiving him as Lord sets up this disposition of thankfulness in our lives. And then we find ourselves living out that thankfulness day to day. Right? So, so to, to claim Jesus as Lord, can you do that and really be a proud person? Well, it might crop back up, but the nature of receiving Jesus as Lord is that you are kicking yourself off the throne of your life and you are surrendering your life to him as Lord. We have a salvation from him that is not our doing. That was the third song we sang. Go back and study those words. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a life I did not die. That's where our hope is found. We have a provision, not only for salvation, but in day-to-day things. Everything that we have, every breath that you take, and now you're going to think about breathing, but that breath that you just took is from the hand of God. We have both a salvation and a daily provision that you didn't have it. You couldn't get it. You didn't deserve it. You actually deserved the wrath of God rather than blessing. And Paul is thankful for these things, and he's calling us to be thankful as well. Obviously, for, to receive Jesus as Lord is his work in our lives that we didn't do. And out of that, we abound in thanksgiving. Paul, earlier in the book, he says, we always thank God when we pray for you. He's talking about these people here in this city, for their faith, for their love for the other people that know Christ. He's thankful for them, that they have a hope laid up for them in heaven, and even instructs them that part of maturity in Christ is that they would be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Thankfulness is part of what it really is to be God's people. But then we see the idea that watchfulness leads to thankfulness. So we looked at Colossians 4.2, being watchful in prayer uh, with thanksgiving, right? So when we think about the idea that we didn't have it, didn't deserve it, couldn't get it, then it actually becomes an adventure to see what God's going to do, right? How is he going to bring about his plan and his goodness in our lives? Being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving, For these people, Paul asked them to pray for God to open a door uh, to him for the word. And he said, hey, pray for me that I might actually speak the word clearly. Could you imagine these people? You know, Paul's Paul's in prison in another city. uh, And he's asking that they would pray that God would open a door for the word. And that Paul would speak the message of the gospel clearly. And they would pray that. 
That's verse 3 right after this verse. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So continually pray for these things, being watchful in it. So I wonder how God is going to uh, open a door to Paul. I wonder how, how God is going to uh, resolve things. You know, the refrain of this book is Paul, it says he, you know, he writes this greeting with his own hands, but then he gives them a, a, a command, a, kind of a, in a sense, pray for me. He says, remember my chains. He's a man in prison, in stocks, and he says, remember my chains, which is basically shorthand because the Old Testament church would say, remember me, and that's shorthand for remember me in your prayers as we part. It was kind of like their goodbye, Remember me, not like think about me and don't forget me, but remember me before the Almighty God, that he would be at work. And so Paul, even as he closes this book, remember my chains, not just cognitively, but before God. What would it look like for us to pour, you know, for, the, for these people to pour out their heart to God in being watchful in prayer? What is he going to do in being thankful for the little incremental things that he brings about. So if watchful in prayer with thanksgiving is what, our, what we're called to, what would the opposite look like? What's the opposite of being watchful in prayer and with thanksgiving? Well, obviously, it would, would be, part of it would be thankless, right? Or even further, being greedy for more or coveting what somebody else has. You know, the idea of greed is wanting more stuff. Coveting is basically wanting different stuff, especially someone else's stuff. And so thankfulness is receiving by faith what the Father brings into our life, right? The sin of coveting and the sin of greed reveals our distrust of God's provision and his care. And that's why Paul says uh, in this letter that these are things we must put to death. So we think, all right, I'm, I'm thankful, or you know what, I'm not really all that thankful. Like, it's kind of like a, eh, no big deal. But if you are not a thankful person filled with gratitude to the living God, that is not a neutral move of the heart. Get this. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's interesting that covetousness would be linked in that phrase. And what is covetousness? I want somebody else's stuff. I want somebody else's life. I distrust what God has brought into my life and how he has framed my life. And Paul says that idea is idolatry. That I worship something else. I make something else ultimate in my life other than the living God. Oftentimes, and if you read Tim Keller, it's, making, it's taking good things like family, uh, provision, uh, talent, ability, success, your future, taking good things and making them ultimate things. That's what idolatry is. And so quite often, idolatry is not horrible things. Quite often, it is taking things that were meant to be for our good, and we find ourselves basing our life upon them. 
And so when the stock market drops, what, 25, 30% in a couple days at the beginning of COVID, how did you feel? If money is your God, and money is your security, and money is what you base your life on, if you have it, life is good. If you don't have it, life is bad. It's not just I want other people's stuff. It becomes idolatrous in our heart that that's the thing we base our life on and worship. Basically, covetousness. I'm not satisfied with who I am. I wish I were somebody else. I'm not satisfied with what I can do. I wish I had somebody else's talent and somebody else's ability. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I wish I had somebody else's wealth. I'm not satisfied with who am I I around, my friend circle. I wish I had somebody else's social status. I'm not satisfied with where I'm going. I wish I had somebody else's future to look forward to. Covetousness, greed. I don't like my life and I want other things or I want more of what I already have. And you would definitely to fall into those things, you can't be thankful. You can't be thankful for what God has brought uh, and at the same time be greedy for more. So thanklessness is motivated sometimes, not always, by coveting or greed for other things in our lives. And that is not a slight character flaw or a misguided thing on Thanksgiving Day. It's something that Paul says must be put to death. For watchful prayer to work, the underlying thankfulness, and underlying thankfulness must be at work. That Father, this becomes your prayer. Father, I trust in your care. I trust in your care for my life. I thank you for graciously bringing what you do into my life and what you choose also for me not to have. God, I trust you. I thank you for what you bring, and I thank you and trust you for what you have not brought. Without a prayer like that, watchful prayer becomes just a cynical activity of watching God disappoint you yet again. Fundamentally, you're living as Lord of your own life, not with living, not living with Jesus as Lord. So thanklessness is often related to greed and covetousness. Revealing the true condition of our heart. Interesting. So what does watchful prayer and watchfulness with thanksgiving start to look like? You find yourself waiting. Now, we hate to wait. But watchful prayer is that we are resting in the living God and we're, we're praying for his provision that he would show himself. We're waiting and just seeing what God will do. We, our eyes are wide open to what he's going to do rather than demanding that God would do things on our timing in, in our way. We're watching rather than just sitting there indifferent to what's happening in life. We're wondering. So it's not just we're waiting and watching. We're kind of like, man, you know, can you imagine what God is going to bring rather than be deadened and passive? We're praying as opposed to doing nothing. Sorry, couldn't figure out another word to put there. Uh, and, uh, or we're submitting rather than fighting against God's will. We're hoping rather than finding ourselves in despair and hopelessness. We're repenting 
over our thanklessness, over ourselves putting, uh, being the Lord of our life, or the idolatry of the things that we're repenting rather than blaming. Blaming people around us, blaming your spouse, blaming your family, blaming God for what your life looks like. We find ourselves repenting over our thanklessness. But then what's interesting is thankfulness as it, what it looks like in a gospel community. So as you walk in our door, over to the left, next to welcome, it says that we are uh, looking to be, and hopefully are, a gospel community for our community. That we would be people, a group of people, gathered together that are transformed by the gospel and how we relate to each other. That we not only believe the gospel, but then we start to live the gospel with each other. I think a lot of us like to believe the gospel. Not many of us like to live the gospel. Because what did we see last week? To live the gospel, you have to die so that Jesus can bring resurrection life. And we really don't like that. It's good at the beginning of faith, but then, man, the everyday part of that, it doesn't sound as much fun. But when we resist living the gospel, we find ourselves outside of really knowing Christ. And so all of the, the, the goodness and the power of, of not just having God provide, but knowing him in the middle of difficulty and his resurrection power, we miss all of that. And so thankfulness in a gospel community is going to be part of what it looks like to put on then. So verse 5 was put to death. Verse 12 of chapter 3 is what do we put on? It's kind of the put off, put on, but it's even stronger. Put these things to death and then put this on. So that we are putting on the new self in verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So before we get to verse 12 in that section, the idea of what uh, the gospel does to community is that it says nobody is above anyone else. For in this being renewed, verse 11, Paul says, here in the idea of being renewed in the image of our creator, in that there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now that sounds really good to us, but to the original audience, that was scandal. We're going to get there in a second. And be thankful about it, Paul says, because in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So what's going on is we don't understand how radical this is in first century Roman culture. We have no idea. Because we have been downstream of 2,000 years of God softening people's hearts to other people. Now, not perfectly, but this is what's going on in Roman culture. So in this city, obviously in Rome, but in the Roman Empire, that classes... And honor rankings defined social settings. Upper-class elites, basically the ones that everybody wanted to be like, the group that everybody wanted to be in, for them, manual labor and working with their hands was beneath 
them. That was a culturally held value. It wasn't just, ah, oh, they're, they're, they're snobbish and, and above everybody. Everybody in the whole culture believed it, even the ones doing manual labor. Like, yeah, if I could get out of this gig and get up there, I would be just fine, and I'd be much better off. One Roman scholar called it, said it like this, that craftsmen, petty shopkeepers, and all the other filth in the cities referred to their work as degrading, almost likening it to slavery. Okay? Now, that was the social setting of the day, that cultural elites did not associate with lower classes. It would be simply pulling them down the social ladder. You know, one author said it's a lot like the high school lunchroom, right? You know, that there's this class system and you don't dare go to the wrong table. You know where you belong in the system. And once people start crossing tables, it like ruins the whole thing. Praise God. Let's hopefully see more of that. But, you know, so when Paul is defining uh, our identity and when he calls for the gospel to be lived out with each other, he's attacking the very foundation of the social society or social life of the culture of this place. So remember that that J-curve, that we would die with Christ so that we might see his resurrection and his resurrection power? That we share in the death of Jesus so that the life and the power of Jesus may be revealed? That's what this passage is talking about. That's what gospel community is talking about. Hey, elites who think you're better than everybody and everybody agrees that you're better than everybody, die to that. Die to the very foundation of the way that you do which way is the J for you guys? This way. Uh, the, the, the way that, that you would see society working. Die to your own social status. Die to uh, actually being close and with people that are, that are said to be degrading and beneath you. All the status that once defined your life, die to that. So that the life and the resurrection life of Jesus that forms a beautiful new community of his people might grow, which reveals not your social status, but his resurrection power as we see it in his people. And that's why he says to put on these characteristics. So let's go back to to why is that so scandalous? So put that in context in verse 11. Here... In being, in, uh, being uh, uh, redeemed and renewed after the image of its creator, here there is not Greek and Jew. There is not a class system. There is not circumcision, where the Jews tried to hold the high ground, and uncircumcision, where the Greeks didn't. There isn't barbarian, which is like, you know, ooh, you know somebody you know, beneath them, scathing, or a slave person or a free person. In Christ is a leveling field. This would attack the very foundations of the Roman Empire's social status. And that's why Paul then turns around and he says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That is a really interesting list. He's saying, if put to death sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires. Got it. But what do you put on? is treat people with the gospel. Relate to people as Jesus relates to you. Slave, 
servant, tradesman, degraded worker, you are as valuable as the person who has means and is running the city. The ones who have influence in the city, you are as valuable and need to welcome the one that society looks down on. Compassion towards other people's struggles, kindness in the way you relate, humility before God and before each other, meekness, which is a mild and gentle friendliness, patience, which is long-suffering and forbearance. All of it's about somebody else. If you want to see the gospel enacted in your life, it's not, go put on morality. It's no, live the gospel out towards people that, that your entire life has said you're better than or you're worse than. And go live a new community in the power of God. The new self is all related to community. What does it look like when someone hurts you? Well, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. I put 14, but we're going to stop at 13. That it's, what do we normally do? Someone hurts me, that's it, I'm out. They hurt me, I can't deal with them anymore. They will never hurt me again. But what does the redeemed in person in the Lord say? That by the power of the Spirit, I will bear with you. I will forgive you. I will show kindness and compassion. I will humble myself before you even when you hurt me. And I will patiently continue to walk together in community. That was the opposite of the Roman Empire social status. And quite honestly, that is the opposite of American culture. If someone hurts you, you get out of it. If someone, uh, if someone insults you, you know what? They can't be trusted and you cut them off. That's what American culture says. The gospel says people are going to hurt you. We are going to hurt each other. We're going to let each other down. You might have a complaint against me. I might have a complaint against you. But the gospel says we are together forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. We must forgive. And what's wild is the repetition of thankfulness that comes out of that. So he's calling us to die to what we tend to define culture as, and then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace towards each other, uh, not just peace uh, of like a tranquil, easy feeling, to which indeed you were called in one body. We're one body together, people that are completely, naturally separated. And be thankful about it, Paul says. It's not just do something grudgingly, or begrudgingly, to do something and be, uh, that is opposite of culture and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, that you would teach and admonish yourselves. No, teach and admonish one another, singing together at the end with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This turning upside down of, of the social order could feel like death. But it's the move of God in these people, and Paul is saying, be thankful about it. 
because it's evidence of the Lord's work. It's evidence of you surrendering yet again to him as the living God. It is not something where we just go on and just are, are completely frustrated about. It is God at work in us in ways that we don't expect, in ways that we are dying to ourselves, so that his power and his resurrection might be seen among us as his people and be thankful even as you find yourself dying with Christ because there is something much greater in store for us as, as his people. Much greater than what you define life as. It's him and his work and his power. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would uh, take your word, uh, that you would make us a people that uh, doesn't just give thanks on Thursday. Father, what would we look like if we were a people filled with gratitude? That we would look back at the last day or the last week and recount your hand in the small things, your goodness, that we would be watchful for what you're doing God, and as we see you work, we, we are thankful. As we see your goodness to us, we're thankful. As we see difficulty come on us, and yet we know you all the more, we find ourselves thankful. We're in a difficult, uh, when we're bound together as your people, we're thankful. Father, the things you bring into our life, the evidence of your work, God, I pray that that would define who we are, not as, just as individuals, but God, us as your people together. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your provision, your patience, your, for, uh, your love for us, God. I pray that you would do amazing things in us. Uh, Father, make us be watchful people, watchful for your hand, watchful for who you are, uh, God, and that we would be overflowing and abounding in thanksgiving. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.